0: is episode number 28 of Pop Culturally Deprived and the third Tuesday of the month. That means today we're going to be talking about Farscape Season 4 on your, and finally, on Farscape podcast. I'm Mandy Kay.
1: And I'm Matthew Vose. I have my new podcasting setup, so I have a new microphone and an arm and new stuff in my study, so I should be coming through to you with that smooth jazz noise. Hey, tune in to Midnight with Matthew. Keep one eye on the road and both feet on the wheel. Mm, Nice.
0: (laughs) And I have no new microphone, so I'm sitting here in North Carolina feeling all judgy and jealous. Judgy? Yes, (laughs) judgy. You
1: should be pleased. I've got exciting new toys to play with.
0: (laughs) All right, so I wanted to give you guys a quick note about the show notes this time because ordinarily on our TV episodes, I don't link to my thought stock because when you're watching 22 episodes of television, that's a lot of thoughts. But since this is the final season of Farscape and I had a lot of thoughts that I think you guys might find interesting or at the very least hysterical, I am actually going to link to them for you in the show notes this week.
1: So, Season 4 of Farscape was aired during the 2002-2003 TV season. It saw the addition of Rayleigh Hill and Melissa Jaffa to the cast as Sokozu and Navanti, respectively. Farscape was cancelled in September of 2002, just after it had started airing in America. Although SyFy had contracted for f- both for Seasons 4 and 5 at the same time, they used an opt-out clause to cancel the show, uh, a decision based on ratings and cost.
0: Are we sure Sci Fi and Fox are not the same network?
1: <laughs> like, they're a business. They're there to make money. So they're, they're making decisions based on that. I can kind of understand the cost thing, uh, particularly this season. There were a the, uh, lot more sets, a lot more production of going to different places. The puppets were a lot more high quality. There was a lot more CG. So it became an expensive show, but it hadn't actually fully been aired yet, so cancelling on ratings is not the best decision.
0: Right. Especially, I know we're going to get to this a little bit later, but season four was the best season. And so like it just feels counterintuitive to not take into account the actual ratings for the whole se- mm. season uh, before they cancelled it.
1: Yeah. Over the course of the four seasons, the ratings are fairly flat, uh, it's about the same for the finale as it was for the premiere. Okay. But when the uh, announcement came that it was cancelled, it came very suddenly with only a few days of shooting left. Lani Tupu was actually on his way to a convention when the the decision was made, and he heard about it from a fan at the convention.
0: Yeah, I read that. That's that's awful. Hard.
1: There's a lot a lot of people. We'll we'll obviously talk episodes and we'll talk the the ending, the culmination of this uh, series a bit later, but there is quite often a view that the ending is not good because it's i've heard it described as two fingers up to the fans by doing it as a to be continued but they'd already filmed that they'd already plotted out what they were doing for season four what they were doing for season five and they knew how they were going to do things the the few days of filming that were left were for the episode constellation of doubt where they were filming scenes on earth and people interacting and it was it was as, as though it was being filmed through a video camera so it's a bit disingenuous to say it that way they decided not to change it because they'd already planned it. And as it turns out, it allows them to go back and do some further stories 18 months later when they released the Peacekeeper Wars.
0: Yeah, I will say I was mad at first uh, when I saw that. I wasn't mad about the ending Mm. itself. I was mad about To Be Continued. And um, I think my notes said something like, you know, bastards because they knew it was canceled (laughs) when they did that and that's just awful because putting it to be continued when you know it's not going to be continued is kind of evil but then when i found out that the finale had already been filmed that wasn't Mm. the last thing that they filmed it was already done by the time they found out it was canceled that mitigated it a little bit but you know those words are added in post-production so they could have easily just taken it out and ended it like had a solid ending i think that ending which i know we'll talk about when we get to it is a solid ending and didn't need to be continued and so they could have just full stop ended it and i probably would have not been quite as upset with mm. them but i'm less upset now that i know that they didn't actually know yeah if that makes sense
1: yeah cause it, it, they probably could only have done it with editing they couldn't have refilmed anything for it and there are there a few other changes they made so the previously on for that last episode is four frames from every single episode up to then. Yeah. Uh, which is really nice. Ben Browder says, and finally on Farscape, which is really nice. And the...
0: It hurt my heart when he did that. <laughs> the
1: uh, closing credits have no music to make it a bit more sort of funereal.
0: Uh, I don't think I caught that because I'm pretty sure I stopped it. Like on the To Be Continued, I paused <laughs> it and was like, okay, I'm... What? <laughs>
1: So I can understand them doing that, and it, there have been so many campaigns to bring this back, and so many things they've almost done. Because there have been a couple of books, there's been some comics, there's obviously been a mini series which does wrap up the bits of the story that are open at the moment. And there's constantly things... I think Nerdist were going to do a thing where episodes were going to be cut down to 5 to 15 minutes in length, and they were going to do a sort of mini series of the existing episodes and then do something like that to continue it really really short episodes but nothing came of that there's there's every so often there's sort of rumors of something happening but so far nothing
0: yeah i saw i actually follow gg hadley on twitter now mm. and i saw somebody had tweeted at her that there's a new website up that's for a new campaign to get farscape back oh, Lord. And, um, I mean it was dated June twenty seventeen and so I think there like there are some people who were trying to do this grassroots movement to do letter writing campaigns and, and that sort of thing, but I, I have no hope for that. I mean I, I kinda think it's it's fruitless and, and pointless, yeah. but it does speak to the ongoing fan base that it did have. Oh,
1: absolutely. And and the fact that fan base has not gone away since the miniseries, which we'll we'll talk about the miniseries at some point. But even that hasn't driven them away. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, I don't mean that tant-
0: You're not giving me high hopes there, Matthew.
1: But it hasn't done anything to make them go, yes, this is fully completed. And it hasn't done anything to make them feel, oh, we want to do over. Okay, I see yeah. what you're saying. It, I, it's I not see. serenity. Okay. Let's put it that way. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to keep so keeping serenity while it's down.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty okay with that, yeah. I think. So why don't you tell everybody what season four was about, briefly? Uh,
1: Season four is a a mix of several stories and and following different aspects of the characters and the crew. Notably, it's the rising threat of the Scarrans and John Crichton being pulled into the galactic conflict uh, by the Peacekeepers, by the Scarrans and other forces. Was that brief? Was that the best brief one I've done so far?
0: I think that was the best brief one you've done so far.
1: Um, Why don't you tell everyone how you watched the film this time? What's the show?
0: I did not have to watch season four on YouTube, you guys. Woo-hoo! And it was glorious. It was glorious. One of our listeners, Lauren, who on Twitter is at Six Legged Knits, we figured out that we live very, very close to each other. You know, she's just in the next city over and we both work in Raleigh. And so when she realized I was watching them on YouTube, she got really sad and offered to loan me her DVDs for season four. So we met for lunch one day, and I got all of her DVDs for season four and the Peacekeeper Wars. And I finally got to watch these the way they were meant to be watched. And it was wonderful. Thank you so much, Lauren.
1: So terrific. You got to watch them on DVD. I watched them on Blu-ray again. Um, And I took in one of the commentaries this time on John Cahote. So we will talk about that when we get there.
0: Oh, I'm glad you did. I wanted to do that since I had special features on these discs. But I just didn't have time to go back and look. But I'm really glad you did. So you can tell me all about it.
1: Well, yes, I did.
0: (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Mandy, going
1: into season four, what were your expectations for the material?
0: Oh, I don't know. I...
1: Because actually, that's it's probably worth I... it's probably worth reminding the viewers: you did not enjoy season three, and you're mostly watching this to find out what happens after the cliffhanger.
0: Yes, I loved season one, I liked season two, and I hated season three. And that progression just did not set me up, <laughs> you know, for anything good with season four. <laughs> and uh, the only reason that I tuned in was because of the season three cliffhanger. I had to know. And I I should have known, I should have known they never pick up like right immediately after time has always passed. And and I should have realized that was going to happen and my curiosity wasn't going to get satisfied. But that was my expectation was that I was probably going to despise it, but I had to know what was going to (laughs) happen.
1: And what did you think of season four? Now Now you've been through the full range of everything
0: well if you guys are paying attention a few minutes ago i did just say it was the best season of all four so i liked it
1: excellent do you have summation about why uh, this appealed to you so much why uh, it was at the very least better than the rest
0: because one it was less episodic it, it was very much a story from beginning to end there were some standalone episodes but it wasn't like season three where it was just all of this random stuff that had no bearing on anything. Mm. It was a full contained story and I got my happily ever after. And that's all I ever wanted.
1: Mm. Good. Okay. So let's talk about some of the new characters who were added. The departure of Jewel was replaced by Sukozu, who is a small red lady who has many many different abilities many many so many different abilities like they make her a little bit overpowered they give her a lot of stuff that she can do her arms can reattach if they're cut off she has a super scar killing power at the end of it she can shift her gravity she's hyper intelligent she knows uh leviathans inside out she speaks lots of languages am i missing anything
0: Her eyeballs can turn inside out.
1: Her eyeballs can turn inside out, which is probably the most useful of all of them. Like, when you put them on... on Right. Yeah.
0: (laughs) She... She's also very super arrogant. But I guess if you have all those abilities, you have the right to be arrogant. Hmm. I was not a fan of Sukozu, if if you can't tell. (laughs) She's not my favorite. And I think... One of the things that I didn't like about her is... That they kind of, it felt like she wasn't a fully realized character at the beginning. And as the story was progressing, they just gave her random things to progress the plot. And I could be wrong. Yeah. But that, that's the impression I got, especially um, at the end, in the last, the, the very last part of the arc, mm. um, when we find out that she's a bionoid. And all of a sudden there's another dude that's a bionoid, and Aaron had been replaced by a bionoid. We've never heard this term. Four seasons. This is not something that's ever come up. And now all of a sudden it's this major, major plot point that these creatures exist and she's one of them. And so it just it felt slightly too contrived for me. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I have a note on Sekozu that says Sekozu is such a breath of fresh air.
0: Oh my god, what's wrong with you? I
1: love her. Not in the same way I would say I love watching Tiana or anything else, but particularly comparing her to Jewel, who came in with potential and wasn't realized. Sikosu comes in and actually questions what they're doing, tries to put forward sensible ideas to things but genuine alternatives things they wouldn't think of because she's not bound to their code of Scorpius is evil so she can back him the the great bit in i shrink therefore i am where she questions the fact they can't be shrunk because of the molecules in the air and so on like she's genuinely talking about what's going on and talking about it in an intelligent way and i like that in a character and i like it compared to particularly after our conversation about jewel going actually yeah this is a much better character to do some of this discussion, have some of this uh, intellectual comparison with John, not just bullish strategizing.
0: She's definitely a better character than Jewel, mm. but that's a really low bar. So, <laughs> <laughs> I will give you this, though. Okay, I don't like Sokozu, mm. but as a character, she's interesting and she's flawed. Mm. And so I guess looking at it from that perspective. The main reason I don't like her is because I still don't know if I should trust her or not. Great. And, and so I don't know which side of the fence she's playing just like Scorpius. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I mean, I hate Scorpius because of what he did to John, but he had his moments in this season, especially where he went to bat for them and he risked things for them And, and so you start to feel like, okay, maybe he's becoming part of the team, but then all of a sudden you figure out, you know, he's got this long con going on. And with Sukozu, it's very much the same thing. You see these hints that things aren't really on the up and up with her, but they're not really addressed. And so you just end up left with this feeling of something's off. And that's that's why I don't like her. Okay. It's not that she's a bad character, because she's written really well, yeah. and she does bring a lot of stuff to the story. I just don't like her.
1: Yeah. Like we say, slightly overpowered. The fact that she can have things cut off and then reattached means if someone's going to have something cut off, it's generally her, which sort of lessens the impact of it.
0: Still painful as crap, though.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> but it happens so many times during this season. It's so random
0: only three or four times which is not terrible in a 22 episode we have not
1: had many people having things cut off them in this show
0: we've had pilot and and fake pilot yeah
1: and that was allowed because they can regrow we don't do permanent changes to people no 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 no. far too much production right problems (laughs) but talking talking about scorpius um he goes through a lot this season when we first see him and he's trussed up in a complete reversal of the sort of uh, S&M domination he used to do he is now almost literally a dog for Grazer and so many times we find that he's faking what he's doing or he's conning someone and Naranti has a great line Oh I do admire your compartmentalization of duplicity Which is absolutely right for the character
0: I struggled with Scorpius this season yes. because he kept making me feel bad for him and then it turned out oh he was just faking it the whole time <laughs> Yeah And, but every, every single time he got me every time, even at the end, uh, when the Scarens had Mm -hmm. him and like, he's drooling and, and, and he's very much physically in distress. And you can tell, like, I was feeling so bad for him and I'm like, he's, he's tricked me a couple times during the season. So I should not be tricked at this point. And I was completely fooled. Mm -hmm. Like it shocked me when all of a sudden he's fine. He was faking it the whole time. Maybe I just don't learn, but, I mean, he he did great things.
1: Mm. And, and yeah, I never think that he's faking it, just that he has such control, he can just snap out of it when he wants to.
0: Oh, that's fair.
1: But, like, there's a bit where he says to the uh, the Scaran Emperor, he says, I've been your loyal spy for ten years. Like, we've had no hint of that, but he's still playing every side against each other. And I think the season is better for not having Harvey in it as well. Because we get so much Scorpius already, if we had Scorpius in John's head, it would be a bit much.
0: I agree, especially since the the small amount of Harvey that we did have in the season, I didn't like as much Mm. as previous iterations of Harvey. I mean, I get why they did it, but I didn't like it.
1: And, And poor Wayne Pygram throughout the season just has to spit up so much stuff. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, God. Do you think
1: the writers. It's
0: so gross. Do you think
1: they figured that he's actually really good at doing, at doing that? So basically, every episode, they make him look like he's throwing something up or got something coming out of his mouth.
0: <laughs> yeah, I didn't really notice it until the clam episode. Mm. <laughs> that was just disgusting. But then it just kept happening. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it, I don't know. It's a bit like making John look like he's under stress. And getting really freaked out or Aaron with a you know, a couple of tears in her eyes. It's the thing right. that they do really well. So let's let's make them do that every other episode.
0: <laughs> I do want to say though, with the armor that he had this year mm. it, it may be exactly the same as it was in all the other ones, but I I vaguely remember that it it seemed to be just more like a rubber bodysuit in previous seasons and this, this year he had like those shoulder pad yeah. things. Mm-hmm. And so whenever he moved in particular ways, for example, in the clam episode, yeah. when he's on all fours yeah. trying to throw up, that armor would flip up and it made him look like a lizard. Yes.
1: It's sort of, sort of weird beetle esque thing, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yes. And, and I don't know if they did that on purpose, if it was just a side effect of this really cool armor that they gave him. I don't know. But every time it flipped up, I was like, oh, he's a lizard.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's just that they didn't take that into account when they designed it, that he'd be going around on all fours in a few episodes. But because there are a few episodes where he does that, it looks a bit unfortunate. It's a bit like in Revenge of the Sith. There's a bit where the Emperor gets thrown over a chair by Yoda, and his his sort of cloak goes over his head, and it just looks ridiculous. And you just think, right. guys, do another take. <laughs> it's just so daft. Our other new character this season was Naranti, who we saw in the very last episode of the last season. Um, I I get the impression from your notes that she grew on you as it went along.
0: She did. Was she really only in one episode last season?
1: Yeah, she's in the very last one. She comes on board when they blow up the command carrier. And then she's in every episode this season. I thought
0: she was in more than that. Mm. Because... um, And maybe I was just conflating the way her character was in the first part of the season versus how it was in the last part of the season. Because when we first get introduced to her, she's crazy. Like, insane. Nothing she says makes sense. It's all gibberish. (laughs) She has no sense of time or logic or reason. And while she does do some really good things, like, you know, she tells John that Aaron's pregnant and she helps him in, in some ways. And then in in the episode, um, the, the one that Jewel ends up leaving at the end of with the, the temple and everything, yep. she had a few lucid moments in that episode. But most of it, she's ridiculously crazy. But it's her craziness that helps save them. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we kind of got that from her the whole first half of the season. Her craziness is what was saving people. But it was weird and I didn't like it. And then in the last half of the season, they actually made her more of a person. She made sense. She could talk. She knew what was going on all of the time. And she could be an active participant in what was going on around her, whereas she couldn't do that in the beginning. And so I like the change that they made in her. And it did happen gradually. It's not like it went from she's crazy in one episode to being not crazy in the next episode. So I think like they knew and they, they had to build her up to it. You know. um, but I definitely appreciated her at the end, like the last, the back half of the season, than I did at the beginning, because she was just too crazy for me.
1: Yeah, I, there's a sense that they wanted a mystical type of character, or someone who could tie into that, but a bit different than Zahn. But for the beginning of the season, they're not too sure what to do with her. And then suddenly she really comes into her own, because they go, oh, she can make a potion. Right. And every time she makes a potion, it's very useful.
0: Or she makes a powder that she can blow in your face. Yeah. <laughs> she did that a lot, too. Yeah,
1: true. <laughs> yeah and the other big talking point is the relationship with john and aaron which my favorite is tumultuous this season and then finally they get half an episode of happiness and then it just all (laughs) goes to shit (laughs) yes
0: but it was fantastic Hmm. it was so so good this season even down to the role reversal where aaron's ready to be all in and john can't Mm -hmm. to seeing them building back up to that trust but John still not acting on it to John finally revealing why he's still pushing her away and then they get to be so happy at the end of that episode even though they're still hiding it to like actual real happiness at the end and it's spectacular I loved every minute of it
1: yeah it's done so well And, and particularly it's enjoyable because she pursues him or she does as much as she can to show that she's all in with him whilst giving him space to get over what he deems as a betrayal. She's learning English when they spend time on earth. She's in human clothes and trying to interact and spending time with his dad. And yeah, yeah, it's really nice.
0: Seeing her try to learn English. and, And that was in the very next episode. I think it was either in the first or second episode after he reveals to her, that he just can't mm. trust her. Yeah. And she is immediately trying to learn English and trying to work towards fixing things. And it's it's such a small detail, you know, but it was it warmed the little cockles of my heart.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing she can do for him whilst giving him space. It's lovely. And uh, finally on my list because we've tracked her all the way through uh, did you spot Francesca Bula as War Minister Ackner?
0: I did not. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even catch her in the credits until the very last episode. Oh, yeah. And so if you, if you read through my notes, uh, it was in that episode where I saw her in the credits and was like, oh, I need to look for her and see who she is. And I, I realized that I didn't catch it. And so I went back and looked and saw who she was. And I was like, oh, my God, she's in half season or like a third of the season. And I... I would never have caught that. The way her makeup was and everything, I wouldn't have picked up on it. Yeah.
1: Given she's played these diminutive pixie creatures, various different creatures, right. and suddenly she comes on and she's got this hat and these boots and she strides through and commands the presence of everyone. It's a terrific moment.
0: It's pretty great. Yeah, yeah it's pretty great.
1: And there's a great bit where John has a line of... fact, she scares the crap out of me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that was funny
1: i i like when shows do that do little plays on people who have relationships together always good fun what did you think of the Scarens?
0: i was distracted by the Scarens because they were not consistent with how they depicted Scarens, hmm. and i'm sure there's a reason why they did it i'm sure in their backstory they have this whole thing for why but they didn't show it on the screen, and so it just distracted me. So the the first Scarens that we ever saw, and some of these Scarens are the really, really weird looking ones that have that really long curved neck. Hmm. But then we see uh, War Minister Akna, and she is fairly humanoid, except for, you know, her cheekbones and and the skin color and all of that stuff. And so at first my impression was, oh, okay, maybe the women scarons are just different than the men because we had only seen men before. But then we see the emperor and the Emperor's just like her. So I was distracted by why some scarons have this creepy neck and others don't. Uh, okay. I get hung up on the little yeah. stuff.
1: Um, they make a couple of references. <laughs> when they start introducing the normal-faced scarons. they make a couple of references to them being part of the ruling caste. Right. The episode I shrink with, therefore I am. The guy takes off his helmet and Scorpius says, Entropy will claim the universe before I bow down to a scammer. Even one of the ruling order. To the ruling order. And it turns out he's a scammer on board to capture John and uh, Scorpius. There's right. An
0: Im- well, he's the first one that made me question yeah. it, and I guess I forgot he was a man. So. There's an
1: implication in those final episodes that the, the plant they have, the, the Crystallium mutilia, Bird of paradise, yeah, mom's garden. Time a dozen. Only the ruling cast get that, or get enough of it to make them properly humanoid, properly intelligent and capable. And the lower cast okay. either don't get it or don't get to to have it ingest as much.
0: Okay. See, I couldn't figure out what the flowers were for. I I knew they were important. Okay. But I didn't. I didn't pick up on why.
1: Scorpius tells us that it helps speed up their evolution. What happens if they eat the flower? Big brains, evolutionarily competitive. Hey, you know Storlick, are huh? And if they don't eat them? Your dog could beat him a jackass. <laughs> but I think it's done on an individual basis. Basically, get them ingesting that and, and presumably in utero or when they're small, it helps them evolve and develop really quickly. And if they don't have access to the flowers, it sets them back to being brutish creatures.
0: Okay, yeah, I completely miss yeah. that. Okay.
1: So other than that, <laughs> are they just another version of the Peacekeepers? No. Hmm. Yes?
0: No? I don't know. They're. I mean, every race is essentially looking out for themselves, and they're going to try to conquer anybody else. So in that sense, we're all the same.
1: Hmm.
0: I mean, they're no different than humans, really. I mean, we, we want to say they are, but I mean, they're not. Yeah, that's true. That's not the answer you wanted, is it?
1: No, no, no. That's a a, a nice take on it. I don't think we ever quite see enough of them. And and again, part of this is because there's only four seasons, but enough to really differentiate them. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, shall we talk some episodes? (laughs) Shall we run through the season? Sure. Thank you. You're very kind. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, on, On the list, I haven't actually listed anything before, like, episode five, Promises. Because although the first episodes are... Kind of interesting, kind of fun. Not much happens, particularly. We're moving pieces around until people get back on board, Moira.
0: Right. I just want to point out that John's beard was so much better in the first episode than it was in Jeremiah Creighton. (laughs) Absolutely. because this one was real. (laughs) They actually let him grow this one, so it was real. And I want to talk about, in the very first episode... How they did some really bad editing. Oh, yeah. Can we talk about we- that? Because this is the episode where we learn that, you know, Crichton was rescued by a dying Leviathan. So he's been on this thing for months and months and he's kind of going a little bit stir crazy, but then randomly Chiana and Rigel are with him. And later there's a previously on scene that sort of explains that, that they actually did show up. And, and the things were different. Like, there was a plot point that was filmed to explain them being there. Yeah. But in the actual episode, as we saw it, we faded to black on one scene where they were not there. And then we immediately go to a scene where he's talking to them and they never question, it's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. They're just randomly there in the middle of the action. And I had to watch this part, like, four times just to make sure I wasn't crazy.
1: Yeah, no, you, you're not crazy at all. There is stuff missing that then appears later on. <laughs> okay.
0: That, that's all I wanted to say. And then I wanted to just point out John Crichton had a wonderful line at the end of this episode. Rigel is still... It was either Rigel or Chiana, I'm not sure which one. Mm. But, you know, it's trying to comfort him because John is still being super, super obsessive about wormholes and about Aaron and trying to find her. And so he keeps going back to the same place like replaying everything and finally he says not coming here anymore and it was either Shiana or rigel says why not and john says
1: doesn't change anything it makes me sad mm.
0: and my thought on that is that john carton is just so dang self-aware that he needs to teach me about life
1: <laughs> it's a proper moment of maturity that we've not had before
0: Yeah, and we don't get a ton of it either. The Mm -hmm. only time we get that from Crichton in all four seasons is when he's being compassionate towards other people. We don't usually get it in his own life. And so it was a really nice moment. Mm.
1: Yeah, he can't take his own medicine. But he can. He can give it. Yeah. Mm. But the first episode I noted that's worth talking about is Promises, which lays the ground for a lot of what happens in the season. Everyone gets back on Moya. Uh, Aaron's there, but she's brought Scorpius with her and he is under her protection. He wants to come back on. And this is a fairly pivotal one. It's written by Ricky Manning, who had written significant episodes throughout the show. And and it does set up so much for the John's doubting what's going on, what's happened while Aaron's been away. Us finding out that Aaron's possibly been an assassin.
0: <laughs> a lot happened in this episode. <laughs> I, I had a lot of thoughts on this episode. There were some really great lines uh my my first I think probably negative controversial thought mm-hmm. was that the writers ran out of plot devices because Scorpius wanting asylum on Moya was very reminiscent of Grace
1: yeah, they had definitely done that before
0: uh, and yeah. now granted, the motivations were definitely different, and they fleshed it out so much better mm-hmm. in the season than they did, but starting. This, this episode confused the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Like I had so many thoughts and so many feelings, and I didn't know what was going on. And I was trying to make it up in my head, and everything I made up in my head wasn't real. <laughs> it wasn't true. It's not how things fleshed out. But I was freaking out because she's supposed to be pregnant, but she's not pregnant. But wait, what's going on? <laughs> There's a lot of stuff happening in my head uh, during, during this episode.
1: For the next episode, Natural Election, the most interesting thing that happens is Dargo is elected as captain of the good ship, Moya, which I like. I like the way they do that, that most people vote for him. Everyone knows that he would actually be a good captain. A couple of people vote for Scorpius. Like Scorpius and presumably didn't get a right,
0: vote. Right, Scorpius and Sukozu.
1: <laughs> but did, did they give Scorpius a vote?
0: I'm pretty sure that it was Scorpius and Sukozu who mm. voted for him.
1: It just surprises me they would have given Scorpius a vote. But there we go. Dargo is now captain. Hooray. Yay. Then we get John Cahote, which is a an important episode. It was written by Ben Browder, so the person who plays John Crichton.
0: Oh, I did not know that. That that's awesome. This is the episode everybody expected me to hate, even if I liked season four.
1: Yeah, it is like the lowest rated episode of Farscape. Certainly it's the lowest rated of this season.
0: Really? I loved it. I loved it, you guys. It's so
1: good. It tries new things. It does interesting stuff. It moves some of the plots along. And yet it's the lowest rated episode of the season. So people are stupid. (laughs) Yes. The commentary for this was it was John or Ben Browder and Claudia Black. But it was effectively her interviewing him about the writing process, how he got involved in it, uh, where his ideas came from, how he found the time in between making the other episodes. And he talks about building on things like promises and what has happened, how he brings things in. He talks about the fact that Gigi Edgley had wanted to do a more action-oriented episode as Chiana, so she got to do stuff. So he wrote an episode where she got to do that. He wanted Aaron to get to have a funny accent, so he wrote her a funny accent.
0: Ah, terrible accent. An
1: amazing accent. Yes, I can see that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, just no. Oh, It's
1: wonderful. It makes me so happy.
0: <laughs> it's like a weird cross between a southern accent and Kathy Bates. I mean, it's just so
1: weird. Yeah, that's probably a good description. <laughs> Are you a princess?
0: Well, I'm not the princess you seek, but we could still have a really good time. <laughs> <sighs> oh, okay.
1: Love it. There are a lot of science fiction and fantasy and general pop culture references in here. This is this is so much almost from John's POV that we have Monty Python, Max Headroom, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Hansel and Gretel. We've got bits from Virginia Woolf in there.
0: I'm really glad you confirmed that there was a Monty Python reference in there because yeah. one of my thoughts was, was that a Monty Python reference? Because <laughs> I thought it was but I wasn't positive.
1: And it's Rigel starts off with a Monty Python reference. You, None shall pass. And John recognises the reference for what it is, so quotes the whole scene, or the next sections of the scene.
0: Brave Sir Knight, I am King Arthur of Camelot. This is my loyal vassal, Patsy. Bollocks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there's actually... Because it does the thing of they're in a game world and then they're back on the ship and it turns out that's still the game world and so on. It's, it's been done in other ways and, and other shows. But it does some very nice stuff with when they're back on the ship, all the characters are back in their season three costumes. So it's beginning to give you hints of what's going on. Uh, even if you're not picking up that this is not... the way it works. I did not catch that. Mm, just little things like that. It's really nicely done. And he he talks about writing to try and make that stuff accessible so people who were paying attention were picking up on it other people it just gives you a slight sense of it. it's not quite right but you're not sure why
0: right okay
1: uh, and one really interesting note is scorpius gives him a knife and tells him to give him the equations for wormholes so he writes them out in his blood apparently the blood they used oh, was yeah. basically tomato ketchup and there was so much ketchup <laughs> in the room it was almost impossible to act in there because it just made you gag with the, the stench of it
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: So I'm I'm pleased you liked it because I, I like how different it is. I like that it's doing something a, a, a bit more interesting than the norm.
0: I did. For me, um, it was really, really reminiscent of uh, the season three episode of Xena uh, called The Bittersweet, which was the first musical episode and the only musical episode that people should ever reference <laughs> from Xena. And it was the way that it was filmed. It was the way that it looked, the costumes, the colors, kind of the tone. It was all very, very similar. Mm. And even the way that they portrayed Stark. Have you seen Xena? I haven't, no. Okay. Um, Well, if any of our listeners are familiar with the episode, my first thought when Stark came on, Stark is is kind of their guide through the the quest, the process of the, the game, And in the Xena episode, each of the characters has their own guide. And one of them is, like, super silly and ridiculous. And then the other one is more kind of on the nose. And so I was feeling like Stark was a combination of those two characters, uh, Joxer and Callisto, which is really, really cool. Because Bittersweet is my very favorite episode of Xena. And so to see an episode of Farscape that was so similar in style, not story, but just kind mm-hmm. of in style, was really, really nice. And I, I think that kind of contributed a little bit to me liking it um, because we can compare this to, uh, is it Revenging Angels yep. in season three that I hated? And they're kind of similar mm-hmm. in that they're trying to do something really different, and they're, they're doing it in a way that's clearly not reality. Yeah. But I hated revenging angels and i loved john quixote so do with that what you will but that that's where i ended up on it oh and you guys rigel farts fire in this one
1: he does indeed giant jet streams of it
0: (laughs) oh and to totally bring this back to doctor who there was a a moment in this where john pulls out his gun and tries to fire it and he's in the game so it turns into a banana Mm mm-hmm and a banana gun is totally a thing if you're a fan of Doctor Who. So Doctor Who is totally paying homage to Farscape, nice. I think. I, I don't see any other
1: way around it. And, of course, I can't mention this episode without uh, saying that it's, of course, the return of Zan.
0: Yes, yes, it was. For
1: the briefest of brief moments. Uh, but she comes back. And I, I like the way they did that, how it's a fake Zan, and it eventually it turns out it's the real Zan. It's had, they've had someone else playing her I think they've had one of the directors or, or writers or exec producers playing him and then it turns out there's, okay. there's real Zan inside her inside him because I, I bet there would have been fan sites and things at the time saying oh this is the episode Zan comes back and then suddenly it's oh it's the character of Zan not the actual Zan and then it turns out it is Zan she's back and then she has a, a few lines and then she's gone again but it does bring back yeah. the heart and the conscience to it where she says have you wasted my death and the deaths of so many others. And it sort of starts setting him back on the right path of, no, do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. it it did exactly what it needed to do. I really like that Zan was the princess, that it wasn't Aaron. Because, mm. of course, everybody thought Aaron's the princess. Hell. You know, who else would John be saving?
1: Help! Help!
0: <laughs> Stop!
1: Oh, it's so trying to be
0: serious here. So, I, I mean, I really, really liked that it it subverted our expectations, that it ended up being Zan, who was the princess. And honestly, if if I had paid attention, I probably would have figured that out sooner, because this whole thing's being run by Stark. Of course it's going to be his princess.
1: Mm. Yeah, he, and, he was the one who made the game, so, yeah.
0: Right, yeah. My final thoughts for this episode were, oh, Zan, you're so beautiful. I miss you. mm so it was, it was good stuff.
1: Yeah. It was good a stuff. A nice return. Uh, the next couple of episodes are v- fairly incidental. I Shrink Therefore I Am, which does some great stuff with introducing the ruling cast, with having some good character moments, but not a lot happens. A prefect murder that both you and I struggled to get through when we watched it. So.
0: Yes. I have exactly six thoughts on that episode. <laughs> and the last one is I have no idea what is happening.
1: Yeah. It's, it, it's so. So, okay. I can see they're trying to do something of there's a story going on that these guys are involved in but not the protagonist in, which is, which is always interesting.
0: One thing about this episode that I haven't decided how I actually feel about it okay. was that, again, they're recycling something that they did in a previous season. In season two, we had that episode where uh, Talon had shot that that ship down and so whatever alien race that was captured everybody and is interrogating them all independently and so we see the same story play out over and over and over again from different perspectives Mm. and they kind of did that same thing in this episode too and I didn't they didn't do it as well or maybe they did it better I'm not sure because I didn't realize that's what they were doing at first yeah Until I finally picked up on, oh, wait, he already said that. And you realize you're seeing it from a different character's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most interesting thing about this episode. But at the same time, they've already done that. Yeah, I I just don't know how to feel about this episode. Like, I guess I feel some good things and some bad things. So maybe my feelings are just neutral.
1: (laughs) Yeah, throughout the season, there's a number of things that they've done elsewhere in the previous seasons, that they're clearly bringing back in a slightly different way. They use, we'll talk about it in a second, but unrealized reality with having people playing different characters than they would normally play. Uh, we've mentioned doing a, a slightly out-there episode like Revenging Angel in John quixote And, of course, the, uh, the return to Earth in Terra Firma. So, they, they definitely revisit some of their greatest hits. Uh, the other thing of note in Prefect Murder is the actor Bruce Spence. Because he's a very good character actor from a number of significant uh, franchises, all of which are obviously filmed in Australia. So he's in Star Wars Episode 3. He's the main guy on the planet where Obi Wan goes to hunt down Grievous. He's the Black Lieutenant, the mouth of Sauron, in The Return of the King. He's the Train Man in The Matrix franchise. Uh, but he's also in Finding Nemo. He's in the latest uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. He gets he gets good, role, well, interesting roles in a lot of different franchises.
0: So basically, he's that guy, except you don't ever actually know it's mm. him because he's usually so heavily covered in makeup yeah. that you can't recognize him.
1: The next episode was Ku by Clam," where again it's a, almost an incidental episode, uh, which is a very strange episode. Um, it does a couple of interesting things with the the fun idea of the clams. Two people eat from the same clam and it links them and might possibly kill them as it tries to remerge. You've got John and Rigel pretending to be women to sneak into a, a sort of suffragette esque club. <laughs> and of course, you've got Scorpius properly putting his life on the line to help get them out of a crisis.
0: My favorite thing about this episode. Hmm. Girl power? Girl.
1: Girl power, would you quit speaking English? <laughs> yes.
0: Oh, that's so good. That's, that's all I got. Jural power.
1: Once we get through by Ku, by Clam, though, we get into the season. It, it just puts its foot down and never lets up almost. Uh, the next episodes are a, a trilogy. Unrealized Reality, Kansas, and Terra Firma. They're They're all different episodes doing different things, but they're this loop of them... Or, or quite an, getting to understand Wormholes in depth, him getting back to Earth but in a different time and having to put right what once went wrong. And then eventually getting to his Earth and dealing with what happens when he, when the crew of Moya get to Earth. Unrealised reality, as I said, has a great thing for mixing up the characters. You have Claudia Black actually made up and playing Chiana. You have Sokozu as Stark, you have Naranti as Rigel, Dargo as Jewel. It's good fun. <laughs>
0: I, it took me a little bit to figure out what was happening Mm. in this bit because Chiana is the first one we see and we see her a lot before we see anybody else. And the makeup on Claudia Black was so good. Like I was questioning, like I was, I was watching it and, and my thought was, that's not Chiana. And then I was like, well, I mean, it is, but that's not Gigi Hadley. Is it? Like, what have they done to her face? And it took me a while to figure out that it was Claudia Black, mm. because it didn't look like her either, if that makes yeah. sense. I mean, so they did a really good job, and Claudia Black nailed the voice, the the mannerisms, the movements. Mm. She sold it. It was great. And then it was really... We didn't see Dargo as Jewel for a little while, I mean, because that one was pretty obvious. Yeah. But um, Norenti as Rigel <laughs> just looked weird. It was weird.
1: And and Gigi Edgley as Naranti. <laughs> it was just so bizarre. Right.
0: It was bizarre. She looks yeah. f- weird without her grey and black makeup on. Yeah, right?
1: Yeah, because she's this <laughs> yeah. uh, petite blonde lady in real life. She looks nothing like Gianna.
0: <laughs> right.
1: I liked Einstein in this episode. The, the ancient who comes to, to talk about wormholes and decide what to do with John. I, I think he comes in with much more presence than... The, the Ancient as Jack ever did. Well, he
0: did, but that's because he wasn't trying to be Jack's dad. True. And the other Ancient was always, like, one, trying to fool him at first, and mm-hmm. then he kind of kept that up. Yeah. And so they interacted very much in that father-son space. And here, the, the Ancient guy was really our antagonist. I mean, mm-hmm. he was there to either kill John or, you know, help him unlock the secrets of wormholes
1: mm. and the the ending of that episode is is really well done and that's that the mid-season break so that episode was aired august 23rd and it ends with john floating above earth just him no ship nothing like that it's just him in a spacesuit floating above the earth and then in december what four months later <laughs> We then get to the episode Kansas where he we find out what happens to him. And it turns out he's back in 1985.
0: They really like to do part one cliffhangers of John floating around by himself in space.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's kind of a thing. Mm. But I will say I can't imagine having to wait four months. Because my <laughs> the end of of my note for episode 11 is, holy shit, he went home. And then the beginning of my episode number 12 is, holy shit, John, why are you taking them to Earth? <laughs> and and so having having to wait between what happened for four whole months, gosh, that's awful. I mean, it, it's yeah. rivaling, and a lot of their cliffhangers do kind of rival some of the Buffy cliffhangers, like, you know, at the end of becoming or the end of the gift oh, yes. when when you're just like on the edge of your seat, you need to know what's happening next. But, oh, guess what, you guys? You've got to wait a couple months. So <laughs> Farscape's pretty good at that.
1: He solves the, the mystery in the past and, and they deal with it. There was a, a lovely bit in Kansas where Chiana takes young John's virginity.
0: <laughs> Chiana and young Crichton is gross, is my comment <laughs> on that. <laughs>
1: But this is, this is just them being aware of what they might have done in the past. Uh, he asks her uh, her name, and she says Chiana, and he goes, is that Karen? Uh, and she okay. then d- goes something like, sure. And he's like, oh, Karen, sure. That's the name that he gave to Maldis back in season one as the girl who took his virginity.
0: <laughs> oh, nice.
1: Like, they didn't plan that at all. I, I don't believe there was ever that, that idea. But just to have checked it to make sure they get it right. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, yeah. Uh, they get, then get back to Earth, and we have what seems to be a really long episode. A lot happens in Terra Firma. It, it always surprises me. It's just one episode. Yeah,
0: I mean, a lot. And, and it's all essential stuff. It's not mm. really made up a filler. It was, it was good.
1: Yeah, it, run, it runs the full gamut of some good actions, some good character stuff, great moments, some really well thought through dealing with what would happen with aliens coming to Earth. And how would people react? And particularly in 2002, how would people react? Yeah,
0: I was terrified to watch this episode after the human mm. reaction. Yeah. Because for me, the human reaction is really what I expect. I expect the experimentation. I expect the quarantine and all of that stuff that that we saw in that. And so Terra Firma pulled back on that, which I found really interesting because they do call out the fact that 9-11 happened. and. Mm. John wasn't there, and so he doesn't understand how the government has changed, how policy has changed. And so I would almost expect Earth's reaction to the aliens to be worse than it was in the human reaction. And so I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't, and that the conflict here was not that we have aliens that we have to study. It's that we want to keep this knowledge and this technology for ourselves and not share it with the rest of the world. And I liked that. I thought that was a nice way to go. I don't know how realistic it is, but I appreciated it.
1: Yeah, but it it is very well done to to look at every aspect of it. And then for for them to show the decision from John of, I can see this is causing too much havoc on Earth, so I'm going to give them some information and then we're getting out of here because it's too much disruption. It's too much potential and
0: conflict right yeah um, it, it was just, it was done really well
1: i wasn't going to put the the episode twice shy on the list but i realized there were a couple of points worth mentioning uh one is obviously the the, the finale of the episode where john uh, aaron confronts john about how he's trying to ignore her and taking drugs to to forget about her and he confronts when he says scorpius is watching he's always listening and if he knew how obsessed with you i was he would take everything and it, he would use you against me. It feels a little bit like the X Files writing because sometimes they wrote that as Mulder is completely paranoid. But in the Farscape, they show you that Fa- that Scorpius is listening. He gets completely validated by it and allows them to be together.
0: <laughs> I loved. I did. I loved it. This this is the moment where everything just kind of came together for me. I mean, it had been a really good season so far. I loved Terra Firma. You know, I loved some of the previous episodes. But this, I mean, John and Aaron are my OTP, and they have teased them so much over the previous three and a half seasons that it was almost getting to the point of, this is stupid because we know they're never going to get together. They're just playing with us. And then this moment happens where you realize that John legitimately did have trust issues with Aaron, and he was... He was serious when he said to her, I'll trust you with my life, but not with my heart. But their relationship is something that just can't be denied. And so when you get to this moment and you realize that for the very first time, both Aaron and John are on the same page, they're all in, and it just, like, I was giddy. I was clapping, I was smiling, I was laughing, (laughs) I was so excited, but I will... Also, say that my last thought for this episode was, but we know it can't last because mm. they're not going to let them be happy, especially when we're only at episode 14. Yeah. But this was the turning point for me. And I was pleasantly surprised to see that they maintained it for the rest of the, the series, even if they had to keep it quiet so that it was only between John and Aaron we still got to see those moments between John and Aaron and we got to see them independently. We got to see John searching for Aaron and we got to see Aaron hallucinating John and calling for John when she was captured. And so we knew Mm -hmm. from the audience's perspective that this was something the writers were still keeping like, yes, of course they separated them. They can't be happy, but the separation is a physical one, not an emotional one. And that's all I wanted. That's all Mm -hmm. I wanted. I wanted them to be in love and they were. And so it was great. I'll stop gushing now.
1: It's lovely. It's such a nice to finally get there and go, okay, we're going to let this happen. Finally, we're there. The other thing I wanted to mention on the episode is that the plot of it, Creature comes on board, Creature drains them of their strongest emotions and then eats them uh, or tries to eat them. I'd completely forgotten that was the plot because it's the plot of an episode called Polymorph of the science fiction sitcom Red Dwarf.
0: Okay. I don't think I've ever heard of this show.
1: You've heard of Red Dwarf. Everyone's heard of Red Dwarf. It's Think a 1980s... who you're
0: talking to.
1: It's referenced in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You've definitely heard of Red Dwarf. Okay.
0: <laughs> I don't remember ever hearing of Red Dwarf, but okay. You're English, right? Yeah. I've seen every episode of Doctor Who. Not Red Dwarf, though, because... Because
1: um... it's not out yet on DVD.
0: Oh! Yes. Yeah. Yes. Boom.
1: Got it. Oh no, this episode aired in 1989 and one of the characters gets his fear taken away and he just becomes a sort of ultra violent idiot. <laughs> and one of the other characters gets his anger taken away and he becomes a left-wing intellectual beard-wearing pipe-smoking person who wears a t-shirt that says give keisha a chance. <laughs> And they have a debate about how to take this thing on. And to one of the views, is the guy who now has no fear says,
0: Why don't we go down to the ammunition stores, get the nuclear warheads and then strap one to my head.
1: I'll knock the smegger to oblivion. (laughs) (laughs) But my favourite, the guy who loses his anger, he goes, I I think we're all beginning to lose sight of the real issue here, which is what are we going to call ourselves? Um, And I think it comes down to a choice between the League Against Salivating Monsters or my own personal preference, which is the Committee for the Liberation and Integration of Terrifying Organisms and their rehabilitation into society. Um, One drawback with that, the abbreviation is Clitoris.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic.
1: So, moving on. Enough of this silliness. We have uh, the episode of Mental is Anything, which is <sighs> important because it really resolves Dargo's arc.
0: It does. It broke my heart a little bit. Mm. But I, I never stopped believing in Dargo, though. So I will say that.
1: Good. Yeah, he eventually comes through, masters his anger, uh, and takes down the guy who killed his wife. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, really well done. And then we move into our... Uh, end of season arc almost bringing home the beacon which has a whole subplot of them the the girls of the crew going off to get a thing that will help them evade Scarrans in this bit of space but it ends with them witnessing peace deal between the Scarrans and the Peacekeepers which may or may not be valid and Aaron getting captured by the Scarrans this is a big turn late in the season
0: yes I really don't remember that much about this episode. I only have three thoughts. Mm-hmm. And two of them are about how the Scarens look different <laughs> than the Scarens okay. we've seen previously.
1: And, we, and we've discussed War Minister Arkner, so this is her introduction. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, then, of course, it ends with, with fake Aaron, who was super creepy.
1: Mm. Uh, we've got the episode of Constellation of Doubt, which is, is framed around uh, a, a documentary from Earth with lots of talking heads about the alien visitation. And what happened and what has happened since and people's views on each of them using this video camera footage. So this was the last stuff to be done. So Gianna drinking from a toilet was the last scene that Gigi actually got to do. Erin uh, making sandwiches with the nephew was the last scene she got to do.
0: That's really sad about mm. – did I guess they didn't know that it was going to be the last scenes they were filming though at the time, did they?
1: Not when it was planned, but when it was filmed, yes.
0: Oh, when it was filmed, yeah. Okay. Because Chihana's scene was hard – Mm. Um, because i mean it was just sad because she's so excited she's like a child you know thinking that that she knows all these things and and then she realizes that she's being looked at funny and she just goes really sad and 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 she says why are you looking at me that way and it's just full of sadness and shame Mm. almost and that's just awful if that's the last thing that she filmed
1: and, and there is a quote from her saying, "When it, when I went into the scenes, I wanted to put every aspect of Chiana in there." So she has her moralizing about the the sale of raunchy clothes to young girls and the use of makeup and
0: right mm. and the dancing, yeah, all of that. It, it was a very Chiana scene. I really liked it, mm. and I just chalked it up to Chiana being Chiana on Earth. You know, she's she's around all of these new people, so she's showing them who she is and what she does and but that makes a lot of sense from yeah. Gigi Hadley's perspective
1: hmm. um, I couldn't find out which was the last scene that Ben Browder filmed because he also had a scene left but one of them in there will be him on the uh, video camera on Earth I think because okay. they were doing these on location shoots that was why these were the last ones left to do.
0: Okay that makes sense
1: Erin okay. is still captured at the end of this but we see her uh, in the next episode Prayer being tortured and we see John and Scorpius do a little buddy movie thing to go and kill people in another universe to find out where Katrazi is.
0: Yeah. This episode was very tumultuous for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I start out by saying I am very stressed out now, <laughs> and then I devolve into what? 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 I can't. What? I mean, it... Watching Aaron be tortured was so hard. Mm. So hard. Knowing she's pregnant and watching her fight so hard against it and then learning what you think you're learning is that, you know, she was a spy and was never in love with John and that she was doing it for this, what, Latha? Is that what she said his name was? And I was, I mean, I was panicking at this point. Like, Mm. I have to reframe the whole show if if what she's saying is true. And then all of a sudden at the end you figure out that she is such an effing badass that yeah. she was making it all up through the pain, through the truth serum because she wants to save both her baby and John. Yeah. And it was I mean it was a roller coaster. It was Oh my god. <laughs> It just it hurt my heart and it, like, I was literally, like, my heart was beating faster. Like, I felt like I had just had, like, four shots of espresso because I was just (laughs) so stressed out and freaking out about what was happening. I was not okay. And then all of a sudden I realized what she was doing and it was amazing. And Claudia Black is amazing.
1: Yeah. This is a real tour de force for her. She gets to do everything in the episode. She gets to do the clever errand with the person who's spying on her as another captive. Yeah. You see some of that flashback stuff of her being actiony, Aaron, but also getting to get it on with a new guy. Right. Uh, Lechner. As, as Lechner,
0: that was his name.
1: Lechner, yeah. And and I'd recognised him this time. I hadn't recognised him before. It's the chap who played John Connor in the new Terminator film, Terminator Genisys.
0: Which I haven't seen.
1: Which, meh. But <laughs> it also turns out he's the chap who plays the Scarron captain as well. Jan- Jennick. Okay. Also played Lechner. Okay. Which is kind of weird. So after Prayer, we move into uh, the big finale of the series, of, of the season definitely, and of the season, of the series as it turns out. We get the We're So Screwed trilogy, Fetal Attraction, Hot to Catrazi, and La Bomba. What did you think of uh, the three parts of this story?
0: I liked it. I liked mm. it a lot. It, it was a little different than I expected it to be. I think um, there was a lot going on, lots of moving parts. And and so I I was a little confused at at times trying to figure out what what was going on and why they were doing um, certain things that they were doing. But as a unit and as a season and series finale, I really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, it really does something a little bit different than it's done before because it's not we need to go in and blow this thing up. Uh, That's where it ends up, but it's not the plan, which has been the plan for the last couple of seasons. In fact, every season so far, basically. Right. Yeah. John coming in and going on on the table to actually try and sell the wormhole secrets is the memory of Farscape that always comes to mind when I start thinking about the show and talking about the show. Because that is the bombast of him in this alien culture, but sort of doing his own thing rather than being forced to play everyone else's game. Right. And I I love that it gives him the opportunity to go and have back and forth because he's trying to sell these wormhole secrets to go and speak to each different group there whilst having his own plan in place to try and rescue Aaron and then eventually to rescue Scorpius. And it allows the interaction with each group separately, which is always really nice as well. So you get to see sort of the different politics at play.
0: I was a little confused by some of it, though, because I was having a hard time understanding why... Both parties were letting this happen because it just seemed counterintuitive, I think, to what, specifically what the Scarens would allow, but even what the Peacekeepers would allow because they were both, they're both so violently driven Mm -hmm. that to not, and I know John had the bomb and the threat of the bomb, which was kind of keeping him safe, but I don't know, it just it felt a little bit contrived in places that it was hard for me to believe that this would actually have gone down this way, just given how tumultuous all of these relationships
1: are. Yeah, so the scarons and the Peacekeepers actually coming together to say, no, we're not going to be blackmailed by you, we'll go for peace. Yeah. I, I think it's just a, a way they didn't go, but I actually really like that idea. It would have been quite interesting to see him forging peace through his actions, because ev- everyone starts going after him then.
0: Right. So, Most of my thoughts around these episodes were mostly confusion, honestly, because I didn't know who to trust. Um, Suzuki, however you say her name. <laughs> Sukozu. Sukozu. Suzuki is like a car.
1: Superbike. <laughs> no comment. Sukozu.
0: So it's Sukozu. Mm-hmm. I, just, I had no idea what she was, why she is there, what her motivations are, and if she could actually be trusted. Um, Because it's in these episodes, I think, that we find out she's a bioloid. And so Mm -hmm. we don't know what that means, specifically. We also see her using her suddenly new-to-us power, like heat power, to destroy some controls. And honestly, my first thought was you know, she's been getting super close to Scorpius and they've got this really weird relationship. Is he somehow turning her into a scarron was, was my Uh thought because her heat thing is very similar to the heat thing that they do. Mm -hmm. And this going back and forth with Scorpius, you know, having to save him because of what Harvey is saying in John's head. And then we keep finding out that he's like just tricking everybody and he's doing all these fake outs. And so, it was just all very confusing, trying to figure out what was true. It doesn't make it bad. It was It was good. I was very engaged yeah. in the story, and I wanted to know what was happening. But legitimately, for most of these three episodes, I had no idea what was actually happening. Right?: <laughs> And maybe that's just me and and other people don't have that issue, but:
1: no it's, it's the sort of writing that goes down very well, that kind of Christopher Nolan thing of we're not going to explain everything to you until. We most of the way through, and you can see where everyone's motivations are.
0: Yeah. I also really, really liked that Bracca relieved Graza of duty. Yes. I didn't expect that to work. And when it did, I was very excited. Because usually when you see things happen like that in a movie, the, the trope is that the crew stays with the corrupt person. And they end up taking down the person who's trying to relieve them of duty. And mm. in this one, they backed Bracca. And I really liked that, especially since Graza is a creepy, rapey woman.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, to see her finally get her comeuppance was a, a really great moment. And to see Bracca finally actually stand up and do the right thing.
0: I still don't understand Bracca's relationship with Scorpius.
1: I don't... <laughs>
0: it Sometimes it appears to be, like, familial, and sometimes it appears to be more than that. And I just don't really understand it. And I think they did that intentionally.
1: John has a line... Where he says, Brakka. "Yeah, feel the love, Mr. Burns." And it's it's exactly that sort of relationship. He's a lackey, but with more affection than a normal professional thing. Right? That's how I Okay, always be that done. makes sense. Mm. Yeah. And then at the end of it, everyone's all happy. Dago and Chiana are together, with no detail of what that actually means. But well,
0: that's, that's fair. Okay. They,
1: they've been through a lot.
0: Yeah.
1: And then you get bad timing—the last in the series—and the. Cold open for this is described as one of the, the favourite things Ben Browder did as a cold, as a, an intro to an episode. Where it starts with him discussing what's happened with Scorpius, with Aaron, and, and saying that Scorpius has said he's got this uh, fixation on betrayal whilst being betrayed. And then it skips forward a little bit more and it turns out it's actually John talking to Dargo and Aaron talking to Tiana about the conversation they had with each other about the conversation they had with Scorpius.
0: okay do you want to know what my thoughts were on this conversation
1: (laughs) because
0: it was amazing so i mean obviously john and aaron are having a very serious conversation about scorpius and and Mm. what's been happening and and going to earth and all that stuff and then we get those you know those breakouts that you're talking about and so my thoughts were this serious shit just took a turn into crazy town (laughs) adorable crazy town but crazy town yeah (laughs) <laughs> I mean I thought it I thought it was great the way they did it because it really was regardless of what either of them said it, it really did have a double meaning they were talking about oh, themselves yeah. on top of everything else and it was it was cute mm. the way they did it
1: yeah I really like it as an opening it's really nicely done uh, it's very interesting and it really gives you a sense of momentum going into the last episode that oh there's a lot going on there's a lot to deal with here It's not just going to be a normal end of season, drift through and set stuff up for the next one. Right. You get that lovely scene with John and his dad talking on the phone while he's on the moon, which is so nicely done. I cried. I bet, yeah.
0: I cried. Like, oh my gosh, it was heartbreaking.
1: Hmm. And of course you get the pinnacle of it, which is to save Earth and pop the wormhole, Pilot has to detach himself from Moya and go and fly a transport pod. And that has a really cinematic feeling of doing something you never thought was possible to do. Pilot, go and actual pilot something himself and go and do it.
0: I struggled with this a little bit. Mm. Mostly because it was just heartbreaking. I mean, This whole episode was heartbreaking until mm. the last like, 30 seconds. Well, okay, the 30 seconds before the last 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And the... Sa- <sighs> the sacrifices that these people are willing to make for John and to save John's people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what, that's what this is about. It's about keeping the Skarens from earth. And these guys have no attachment to earth. They don't care. They don't care about earth. They care about John. And for Pilate to be, I mean, he's literally cut in half. Yeah. You know, Moya and Pilate are both, in so much pain to help John do this. And it just, Tiana deciding to do the vision, knowing that it could be the last time and that she's never going to get her sight back. They all made these ridiculous sacrifices just to help him. And it's wonderful, but it hurts your heart at the same Mm. time because, You can just imagine the pain and the fear that they're going through. But to willingly do that shows just how much they love John and how much he's a part of their family. So I I had a hard time with this episode. I sobbed. I did. I sobbed.
1: Yeah, and throughout he gets to have conversations with people that call to mind some of the previous decisions he's had to make in other episodes. In deciding about going to destroy the gamut base in season one, and talking with Zahn, he talks with Nohant in a similar way, and it, it, him and Aaron deciding what to do. And this time, she actually goes with him, or wants to go with him to do the thing, because if they get stranded, she wants to be with him now. Right. Yeah. It, it has a nice feeling of culmination, despite not being planned as the <laughs> climax of every episode.
0: Yeah, it, it did work really well as a finale. I will also say I appreciated the writers. They they had a, a Joss Whedon thing going on in this episode.
1: Yeah. I hope so.
0: Where they would bring you to, like, utter ruin. You're sitting there <laughs> sobbing. There's tears everywhere. And then the next line, they make you laugh.
1: <laughs>
0: that happened on a couple of times. I, in one of the moments, I was crying and... Stark, all of a sudden they cut to Stark and he's just freaking out because he can, you know, he's talking about how he was one with Talon and he, like he did all of these great things and he's just mm-hmm. like, I don't know, like he's freaking, I mean, he's doing a classic Stark freak out. And then Chiana yells at him and slaps him and he goes, oh, I think I'm okay now. And you just can't help but laugh at that. Yeah. Even though you were just sobbing like a baby. <laughs> There was another one and I can't think of it right off the top of my head because I don't think I wrote it down. Oh, the other one was Stark, too. Mm. When I guess this one actually happened when I was just talking. This is when he was talking about how he flew Talon and and pilot or Tiana tells him, you know, so you've done this before. You can fly this. And and then all of a sudden Stark is like, this is too complicated. He has four arms. You know, like he's waxing poetical about how amazing it was that he was flying Talon and he was one with Talon and then he understood it and then all of a sudden this is too complicated. Yeah. And that made me laugh. So, bo- both of the the laughter moments were from Stark, um, which is good because I hate Stark and he needed to do something in this episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's used with enough of a light touch that it doesn't dominate, but it does give you that moment of humor in and amongst some, you know, serious stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, you needed. That moment of humor or this episode would have been unbearable, yeah.
1: I think. Yeah. So they save Earth, and everything's good. and Moya's healing, and Pilot's healing, and, and Stark's healing. And John and Aaron are in a boat. <laughs> and they flip a coin, and they just watch the coin go into the water. And <laughs> it's just a lovely, yeah, we've made the decision already. We don't need a coin now. He proposes to her, and it's very nicely done. Proposes it's- what? Crichton just proposed. Proposed what? <laughs> <laughs> and it is coupled, you get this really emotional thing with the two of them, but done in a very nice way, coupled with the comedy of everyone watching, having to describe it to Tiana because she's blind now, <laughs> giving their own sort of commentary from the cheap seats of what's going on.
0: Right. I really like that Darko, his interpretation of what he was seeing was, John's really angry right now. <laughs>
1: John seems very, <laughs> when John was... very angry. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and he's shouting because they're gonna have a baby. Like yeah. actually, for real, they're gonna have a baby now. Like yes. she's been pregnant this whole time. Now she's finally gonna have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Strangest alien pregnancy ever.
1: Yeah, and then and then yeah, the the follow up to it is always better with the the people watching on. Crichton's gone down onto his knees. Why? I think he's hurt himself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. We human customs. We're not sure what's going on. What's he doing? I I think the boat's sinking.
0: Yeah, that one, that comment was weird because Mm. it was clear the boat was not sinking. So I didn't really understand where they were getting that from.
1: Don't let the truth get in the way of a good joke.
0: That's true. (laughs) Fair enough.
1: So they get engaged. They're all excited. They're having a baby. Life is wonderful. They've defeated all the people coming after them. And then an alien in a ship comes and blasts them into a million pieces. That's how you wrap up a series. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> to be continued, folks. Farscape out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I have thoughts about this. Okay, so I am coming to it from a very different perspective from people who watched this originally. I can't imagine watching this live for the first time and knowing that it was canceled and that this was the last episode you were ever going to see. I would have been flipping my shit. Like <laughs> I would have been angry. <laughs> especially with the to-be-continued. I mean, that made me mad enough as it was. Mm -hmm. But I am coming to this from a position of privilege, and I know that the story is continued in the Peacekeeper Wars. So I didn't have this horrible moment of, oh, my God, they're dead and I'm never going to see them again. Mm -hmm. It's an, oh, this is an interesting plot point that they're going to have to figure out how to resolve for the next story that they're going to tell. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like i missed I missed out on the experience a little bit because of that I mean, and I don't actually know for sure that they're going to bring them both back or one of them back. I don't know. I just assume that you can't do a mini about Farscape without John Crichton. that's you know, and that that's that's where I am on that and and so trying to take a step back from that and looking at what they did and how they they chose not to change it when they knew they got cancelled, I think. I think it was a really good ending because, yeah, they died, but they died happy. They were together. They were, you know, the the peril was over. There was no more fighting. They were having peace. And so if they were going to die, that's the way to do it. Mm. So you have different thoughts, don't you?
1: No, not at all. I remember watching it at the time and just – big grin on my face because I, I love it. I love something unusual or, or a bit different like that. And it's just, yeah, why not end it that way? There's always more story to be told. You don't have to wrap it up in a big bow. I, I quite like an ending that gives us a sense, yes, there is more out there, but we've told you the story we want to tell you, which this hasn't totally done because it has set you up for something to come. But yeah, they, they were always, knowing now that this was planned to be the end of season, not the end of series... There was always something more they were planning for it and, and any story they were gonna do, they were gonna work a way out of this situation. So why not leave them in a big disastrous place? They've done it before, they've done it right. on every single season. Because Farscape likes its cliffhanger. Right, exactly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, I kinda look at this two different ways. As as a season finale, it's you know, it's the same that they've always done. It's this big giant cliffhanger mm. and they're gonna get out of it. Because that's what they do on Farscape is yeah. you get put in, you know, t- to the brink of death, if not actually death. I mean, this will be the second time Aaron's died, you know, <laughs> and now I'm having flashbacks of, of Buffy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, <I> died
0: twice. <laughs> she
1: died saving the world a lot.
0: <laughs> it's a very Farscape finale. Mm. And then as a series finale, you know, what you were saying they told the story they set out to tell this was John's story and John and Aaron's story has been told, you know, they've, they've met, they've had their relationship ups and downs. They did all of the fighting. They saved planets and galaxies and peoples. And now they finally admitted that they love each other and they've decided to be together. End of the story. So Mm -hmm. now it's time to tell somebody else's story. And, and so either, either way I'm good with it. And I, that surprises me, because that's a very mature response for me, and I don't usually do that.
1: Look at you, growing as a person.
0: <laughs> Only when it comes to Farscape, apparently. I will say, though, had I watched this live, I would have been standing up shouting at the TV. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. There's, like, and I, I probably would have been super emotional and cried. Mm. Maybe. Well, it happened so fast, I don't know that I would have. Yeah. To tell you the truth like because I mean there was no build up to it at all. It's not like when somebody else has you know I always come back to Buffy or you know what how about let's do Fred on Angel. It's <sighs> not like when Fred died. Spoilers you guys. <laughs> there was a build up to it. you know it, it didn't just happen overnight in seconds. and and so you knew it was coming and so like you had the the goodbyes and the sad music and everything building up, preying on your emotions. And with this, they're happy and you're smiling and you're laughing, and then all of a sudden they're gone. And mm-hmm. so you don't have that, that time to catch up. So I, I don't know that I actually would have cried. I, I mean, I would have been angry and definitely shouting, but I don't know that I would have cried.
1: Okay. Oh, you mentioned Fred.
0: I'm sorry. That's
1: it. I, I'm going to be in a malaise for the rest of the episode now.
0: <laughs> oh, I was just trying to pull out an example that wasn't Buffy. I mean, it's Buffyverse, but not specifically Buffy, so...
1: <laughs> Fred, Fred's death always gets me right in the feels.
0: I'm scared. I'm scared. Please. Why
1: can't I stay? Oh, yes.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Anyway, so that is Farscape.
0: That is Farscape. I'm really glad you made me watch it. Yeah? Even if season three was horrible. <laughs> So let's talk about what our actual like favorite moments and stuff were over the course of, of the season. <laughs> you seem to have quite a few, particularly focused around the I Shrink episode. Would you like to tell us about those?
1: Yeah, it's not a significant episode, but watching it, there's a lot of good character stuff going on in it that really appealed to me, um, particularly Scorpius. Uh, this is the first time since he's come on board that he's actually involved in the action somewhat. He, he's had commentary on what's going on around them in the episode before this, but this is the first time he then gets involved in the adventure. And he's got a couple of terrific, snarky moments uh, when it, it turns out he's not in his cells. It's, dude's come on board and John goes to check on everything, sneaking around in a he even references a die-hard way. you take
0: taking down one by one the die-hard way.
1: Um, and he goes to check on Scorpius and find Scorpius not in his cell. And when he does find him, Scorpius has a line of... The cell door was wholly inadequate. <laughs> and you just have this moment of John realising, like, oh, you could have got out any time. Well, that's a thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there were some really good pop culture references in this episode.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and exactly like uh, we know from having watched Die Hard... He gives Scorpius a gun and sends him off to face one of the bad guys, and the gun is not loaded. <laughs> right. So, so we kind of knew it was coming, but Scorpius' reaction he stands in front of the guy, shoots. It goes click. I think it goes fuzzed. <laughs> he just turns around to John. Goes, <laughs> Are you looking for someone? <laughs> Thank you, John. <laughs> Right. Though, so, oh, I should have seen this coming. But the, the best bit is later in the episode, he's literally smoking. There is smoke coming out of his head. He is overheating so much. And he's just grumping about how amateurish everything seems to him. He just goes, how did you survive this far? <laughs> Annoyed at the, at the fact yeah. that he could beat these people who were, who are struggling with everything to take on these few dudes who come on board.
0: Right. Oh, Scorpius so is a piece of work. Yeah.
1: And there's another great character moment when Chiana and Aaron have been shrunk down and stuck inside a jar, effectively. In a very sci-fi way, but they have been. And Crichton's <sighs> talking to them in the jar, and he puts it down, and then he has to move them a bit later. And he rolls the jar off the table that it's on and catches it. And inside, you see the girls spinning. You two talk much yourselves, I got work to do. <laughs> Yeah. Again, great character moments. Just for a second, but they've they've had a bit of a thought about how would Tiana react to being rolled over and over again in a jar? She'd have quite a good fun with it.
0: Yeah, I I would have been Aaron in that situation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'd have probably been throwing up. To be fair. <laughs> One of my other favourite moments is when they go back to Earth and. Jack, John's father and Aaron fly back to Earth in her prowler and she actually takes him around the solar system. And and they just have this really intense conversation and they don't get many scenes together, the two of them. Uh, They did back in a human reaction and then they have in this. Although it's not technically John, but there is a moment between them that's got this sort of intensity to it. And again here, you can see they're both slightly more mature characters and they're talking through things that are going on with them. I didn't know better. I'd think you were human. I'm not. Do you wish you were?
0: Why do you ask? You have feelings for John, don't you? Does that shock you? No. I suppose it might if I thought of you as an alien life form, but I don't. John has not said anything to me but I believe he has feelings for you too. He did.
1: But it's a really nice, calm moment in the middle of a lot of uh, frantic episode and lots of figuring out what's going on and politics about the people on Earth and what do they do with them and do we tell them about the aliens? Right. It, It really works to balance out the episode and give us a chance to take a breath and consolidate our thinking on everything before we get into the final act.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate the the actor who played Jack
1: Mm.
0: because he did a really, really good job. I mean, over the course of Far Escape, you know, he had to play the ancient pretending to be Jack. Yeah. And he had to play Jack. And so, well, really, he played the ancient pretending to be Jack, and then he played the ancient just looking like Jack, and then he played Jack.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, and, and, and he did, you know, these subtle things. So that even though, kind of in the audience's mind, they're all Jack, they're not, mm. and and so I won't say that he's quite as skilled as, say, Ben Browder at doing, you know, multiple characters, mm. but he he did a really good job of reminding us that he he was different in each one. Like the, the Jack that we had in these episodes was actually. Crichton's dad yeah and we hadn't had that before this season before this season besides flashbacks we had only ever had the ancient as Jack and so I like that you could see the differences and how he you know reacted to Aaron and interacted with her and his just sheer joy at being in the Prowler or being on Moya and that sort of thing
1: yeah and even in Terra Firma the episode before that he was playing himself but 17 years before that and, and he was a little bit more hot-headed a bit less mature you you you've got the real sense that he was driven about his career and that was the, the sort of focus you could sense a slight difference in him it, it came right. out very nicely and I said earlier that uh, one of the things that always comes to mind when I, I think about Farscape is Crichton on the table just, just uh, walking up and down and taunting everyone uh, about selling off the wormholes and, and his whole bit of dialogue is fantastic because he's giving the kind of Independence Day style speech but then he, he really delivers a hammer blow. Because I am an American. And what does an American want? Democracy? Capitalism! I want to sell out and settle down for one day only it's a blue light special on aisle three by Wormhole Technology and a set of steak knives for all the tea in China.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I giggled. I, I admit, I did. It was, it was a good
1: moment. Yeah, and every season we get great moments of, of Crichton just doing that big flashy thing and shouting at people. And You, you remember in uh, Crackers Don't Matter, him telling them everything that's going on and just being a little bit nuts with it. This is all of that, but it's so... He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. He is now in control of the situation. Right. Mm. So throughout season four, what were the sort of things that most appealed to you that you can uh, uh, look back on and have it, having enjoyed?
0: There's one character that we have not really talked about this whole episode yet, and we need to talk about him. Rigel. Mm. Rigel was pretty awesome this season, in, in small ways. And, and Rigel was very much a part of the family in this season, and I adored it. But he had some really, really great lines. In the episode... I wish I could remember episode names. The one the one before they elected Dargo captain, where they were kind of all taking turns, and that's the one where the ship ran into the plant that oh, started eating yeah. Moya. Uh,
1: natural election. Yes. Mm.
0: Rigel... Took it so hard that this happened while he was in charge. And he actually, you know, Dargo is trying to comfort him and tell him it's not your fault. Nobody saw it. It wasn't on the sensors. No matter who had been captain, this still would have happened. And Rigel, this puppet, Rigel, just kind of looks down, his little brow furrows, and he just goes, Still, I was in charge. And he's just taking it so hard. And that's a side of Reginald we've never seen before. And I loved it. Yeah. And then he also had, he had some really smart quotes. There was one where, God, I wish I had written down which episode this was in. <laughs> I think this one was in um, the one with the giant spider, Alien. Mm. And, um, oh, no, so it's I not. Sh- this is an I Shrink. Yeah, okay. no, no, this is from I Shrink. He's, mm-hmm. he's yelling at uh, Sukozu because she's just said, it's impossible. They didn't actually shrink us, even though they're shrunken. She's like, nope, nope, this isn't what's happening. And Raja looks at her and he says,
1: I've been around long enough to know how ignorant I am. I don't assume the universe obeys my preconceptions. <laughs> but I know a thrilling fact when it hits me in the face. Yes.
0: And I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing because Sukozu needed to be put in her place there. And for it to be Rigel, that was amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and the, the science doesn't necessarily make sense if you apply too much logic to it, but we just wanna whistle past that and enjoy the episode for what it is. Yes. Hmm.
0: And then he had another one in the episode God, why can't I remember episode names, Matthew? Um the episode where they're watching the video.
1: Oh, Constellation of Doubt. Yes. Yeah, the episode titles are not great this season, are they? They don't (laughs) always describe the episodes,
0: No, they're not as good as they were in previous. And they're they're far less punny this season than they had been. But Rigel is talking about, essentially talking about Earth and how, you know, the people are turning on them. And even though they were really nice while they were there. And
1: he says... It's a backward planet full of superstitious xenophobic morons. Nothing makes sense if they didn't think of it first, and even then it's simplistic gribble. Beg pardon, how rude are you from there?
0: And I just you know, when you're right, you're right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not a bad way to <laughs> sum us up.
0: There are a couple other things that I, I just wanted to point out because I really liked them. And promises, that's the one where we finally get Aaron back mm. and Scorpius is also there. And there are scenes of Aaron dressed like Scorpius like because John is trying to figure out what Scorpius has done to Aaron and, and all of that stuff and I legitimately could not tell if that was Claudia Black made to look like Scorpius or mm-hmm. if that was just Scorpius lip syncing to Claudia Black's voice. I could not tell. I could not figure it out because it was done
1: so well. Right. So, Claudia Black this season, Aaron... Scorpius, Aaron, Chiana, and the princess. Did
0: she play another? So other she did parts? do all of them. She
1: oh yeah. I'm just trying to think how many parts she did this season because we've had other seasons where particularly Ben Browder has done lots of different parts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, she was fantastic as Scorpius. the The makeup was amazing. I mean, I couldn't tell the difference looking at her. She looked like Scorpius, and it, Excellent. it when when they made Ben Browder up to look like Scorpius. You could tell. And I guess it's because of the skin the skin color. We had that conversation mm-hmm. in season two. Yeah. It was because they had to change the skin color so they could tell them apart. And and that's why he looked like Ben Browder to me, just with the weird face. Here, I could not tell her apart them apart. Hmm. And it kind of blew my mind a little bit and I thought it was amazing. I also I've already talked about, you know, John talking to Aaron where he says, I would put my life in your hands but not my heart and how self-aware John was this season, and I really, really loved that. And then just a couple fun ones. Go on. You know, they keep dropping Buffy references in my lap. I can't, (laughs) like, I can't not mention them. Uh, We thought Scorpius was dead at the beginning. You know, Graza had him buried and everything, and then, you know, he shows back up. And John's line to him is... Kryptonite. Silver bullet. Buffy. What's it going to
1: take to keep you on the grave? <laughs> and I
0: cracked up. Cracked up. I love that John keeps referencing Buffy, because you know what that means? That means he actually watched Buffy. Yeah. Like, he wasn't just generally aware. He watched Buffy. And that just... I love it. I love it. It's great. Mm-hmm. And then I think my favorite line from a non-crew member was in... The spider episode. Did we decide that was twice shy? Yes. Um, the 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 spider woman in her human form. She, base. I mean, she says. I, I think they ask her if if she's if she feels any guilt or or whatever about what she's doing because she's you know murdering everybody, and she just looks at them and she says, "I have no remorse. You are food, and I eat." And that's just something Perfect. you don't hear every day. Yeah. I thought it was amazing. It was, it was a great spin on a villain, you know? And it, it's not, she's not doing it to be malicious. She's not doing it because she wants to, per se. She's doing it because it's in her nature, and she wants to survive, and that's what she does to survive. And I just I liked it because it's just different. It's not the same old trope that you always get. Yeah. Except it was spiders. And why does it always have to be spiders? (laughs)
1: Because people don't like This is
0: not the first time we've had spiders on Farscape.
1: No. Okay.
0: So that's it. Those are all my
1: favorite bits. In in wrapping up our discussions on Farscape, do you want to go on and watch Peacekeeper Wars? Uh, Do you want to break? We had an 18-month break between seeing them in real life. So what are your thoughts on seeing that one?
0: I think that I am good either way because it was a good ending point. I think, I think I would like to watch it at some point just to finish the story as the writers were trying to tell it. Okay. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I don't necessarily know that we should do a PCD episode on it. Maybe if we do it in the future, we could make it Patreon exclusive or something like that. But I, I think that we've run the Farscape course okay. for the show.
1: Maybe do a, a mini-episode about it. Not quite so much depth.
0: Something. Ooh, okay. Maybe. maybe. Um, but, I mean, it's a mini-series. How long is it? It's just a couple of hours, right?
1: Yeah, three hours, something along those lines.
0: So, at, at some point, we'll okay. do it, but probably not on the main feed.
1: Okay. So, we also got some good feedback on the previous episodes where we talked about Farscape. Um, Our friend Brandon, at Shoe Size 38, uh, said that Harvey, as the Scorpius clone is referred to, is referenced in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and he never got that until this morning. Thanks. So, that's where I know Harvey from as well, or or the reference of the Harvey film with James Stewart. I remember watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a child, and not understanding what they meant by the six-foot rabbit Harvey. And asking my mom, and she explained it to me.
0: Wait, you watched Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a child? Maybe. I wasn't allowed. So, I mean, I've still never seen it, but I was definitely not allowed to watch it. My mom thought. Hang on.
1: You haven't seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit? No. (laughs) Okay.
0: My mom thought Roger Rabbit was an awful, perverted little cartoon creature and would not let me watch it. And so I have grown up without ever seeing it.
1: Okay. So, A, we're putting it on the list. B, it came out in 88, so I I was probably 10, 11, 12 when I saw it. Okay. I would imagine. Because I don't think I saw it at the cinema, and it took ages for things to come to home video in the UK. Like three years, something like that.
0: Well, that's what you get for living over there.
1: At jawsbot 7 our friend Jarzy uh, said, Oh wow, Mandy's giggles at the end of PC Deprived just made my morning, and add Harvey to the list, more giggles.
0: I don't remember what I was giggling about at the end of that episode. Do you remember?
1: I think I made a really funny joke. I mean, it's hard to choose which oh, of one, course. but, you know. Of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll go with that. I, I suspect we had some good clips that we threw in uh, that were particularly funny. Uh, possibly. Mm. Okay.
0: It ha- it has been, you know, a hot minute since since I listened to that episode, so... We had one final bit of feedback from the Farscape episode from uh, at Nerd on Twitter. And she said she's totally on board with the idea of watching a really bad episode of Doctor Who as well because she thinks that would be fun. And I'm starting to to be more and more on board with this idea. I think there's, there's general consensus of what the very worst Doctor Who episode is. And so we will probably maybe schedule that at some point in the next month. Yeah, it would have to be in the next month. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Okay, added to the list. Yeah.
0: But we are not going to schedule it before Matthew has had a chance to watch any of the good episodes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so
0: some of those need to come first.
1: <laughs> oh, are we, are we not putting it into the order?
0: I could, yeah, no, I could. I could fit it. A, it's a David Tennant episode, so it's, it's fairly early in the run. Yeah, I can I can stick it in. I don't want to put it on the list of essential Doctor Who episodes because it's not essential. It's just one that we're going to do, but I can tell you when to watch it. I was also contemplating. There's another fairly bad one that I kind of want to make you watch because Anthony Stewart Head is in it. I mean, and it's pretty bad. It's not as bad as the one that we're we're talking about doing, but it, it's up there. But considering you just got to see Anthony Stewart Head live, I kind of feel like I should make you watch his Doctor Who episode. So
1: no, I can. I can live with that. Listeners
0: without... weigh
1: in. I, should
0: seen... I make Matthew watch School Reunion?
1: I've seen Anthony Stewart Head do coffee commercials. I, th- I think I'm fine with. His
0: Uber. <laughs> coffee commercials were good. I liked his coffee commercials because he's hot and sweet and
1: British. At least like Until 10. In school reunion,
0: he is not. <laughs> he's like 10. Is that what she said?
1: It was a very long time ago.
0: It was a very long time ago um, because I was very young. I was like 10 when <laughs> – well, okay, he was probably a little bit younger. Um, but I do remember those commercials very well because – I, I liked watching him on my television screen. I had no idea who he was, and I had no idea he would become so important to my pop culture life.
1: Look, I'm in the middle of something right now, but perhaps.
0: Perhaps. But yeah, those Nescaf. Nescaf, Nescafe commercials.
1: Nescafe gold blend over here.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't drink coffee when I was that age, so I, I don't know. I don't know. He oh, just. Call yourself he did a an American commercial, Okay. <laughs> And we are all about capitalism. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and coffee. Like, okay.
0: Okay, folks. If you want to get in touch and give us your comments on this or any other movie we've discussed, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can also email us using podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can comment on this post on eloquentgushing.com. You can find each of us on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay.
1: And I'm at Matthew Verse. We're also on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you can gain access to exclusive content, whilst also supporting to help the network and help us develop new shows. To find out more, please visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. Please also remember to rate and review us on iTunes, and to subscribe and recommend us to a friend. It's the best way to help the podcast grow.
0: We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived, where we'll talk about Pretty in Pink with Amy Jo Cousins. In a month, new who? Until next time, I'm Andy Kay.
1: And you and your timing. Pop Culturally Deprived is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at Eloquent Gushing.